1: Hello, welcome to The Curator Podcast. This is episode 42. Hi, hello, welcome once again, dear listener, to The Curator Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and this is episode number 42. I've been away for a couple of weeks, I do apologise for that. The reason I was away is because I lost my voice, okay? That that happened, that was a thing that happened. And you can actually hear it going in the interview. So it's not just, I'm not just talking bullshit here. You'll actually hear my voice gradually get worse over the course of the interview until it and then. the following day it was completely gone, more or less completely gone. So that kind of kept me out of the game for a couple of weeks. But I'm back now, and I've got a whole bunch of interviews lined up. And when I say lined up, I actually mean that I actually have literally bank interviews. Yes, as of right now, I have some interviews ready to go. I'm not going to be rushing about for a couple of weeks, which is good. I'm happy. So yeah, thanks for sticking with me in this dark period there will be some changes coming up soon, but I'll let you know about them in due course. But for now, we go on to this interview. And my guest in this episode is AC Slade. Now, AC Slade is kind of a nomad, I guess. He's been in many bands and he's been associated with some truly great acts over the years. He played guitar in the metal band Dope, he played for the Murder Dolls, and and most recently he also played with Joan Jett and the Black Arts and was actually there when Joan Jett got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, the guy's done some shit, man, and he's uh, he's he's been around, and you couldn't really. There's there's I've not really met that many people that are as sweet as him. I mean, he's just a really he's just a really nice nice dude, very down to earth, and you know he he's he's loved it. He still loves it. You know, he loves the lifestyle that I think most people who are into music and, and bands kind of aspire to, you know, and that in and of itself is to be lauded. I interviewed him because one of my previous guests was Billy Lyre, and Billy Lyre was playing guitar with him on tour. So recently he recently did his first ever solo UK tour, which he did himself with Billy on guitar with him, and it was a nice jaunt around the UK. So I, I managed to sit down and have a chat with him right before, right before his show in Glasgow. And it was it was a good chat. Certainly enjoyed. Certainly enjoyed it. I don't want to give away too much because ultimately this one needs to be heard. He's it's just a lovely guy and very articulate and intelligent, which is what I like. And interviewing him was kind of a kind of a big deal for me because the second ever song I learned on guitar was "Dead in Hollywood" by The Murder Dolls and. My first ever band when I was 16 used to play that song and a whole bunch of anti-flag covers uh, in this weird Masonic Hall, Masonic Lodge, Orange Hall thing in the West End of Glasgow and all of our girlfriends would come along and watch us and we were terrible. We were an awful, awful band. My uncle came down and provided the PA. We brought, obviously we brought our own guitars. The drummer had his own drum kit. It was a starter drum kit, starter cymbals. I had a squire Stratocaster an affinity model no less and it was just it sounded like crap and yeah those those were good times back to the, the days of innocence before we realised what actually had to happen in order to make a band work and funnily enough all, pretty much all the guys that were in that i played in that first ever band with i mean we didn't we didn't record any music but none of them none of them stayed making music the only in fact the only other one that wasn't was still into music and still making music and was still active in the music scene in glasgow he sadly passed away a few years ago but yeah i mean that's what that was a rich sort of time for it it was a really rich time it's full of really good memories and murder dolls are just full of those memories for me so talking to AC Slade who was part of that was, was pretty good I really enjoyed it and it was it was quite close to my heart with that in mind I'm going to open up with that very murder doll song I'm going to open up with Dead in Hollywood because it has so many memories and he was in the band so yeah I hope you enjoy the interview and I hope you enjoy this song DRACULA I've done lots of interviews in pubs like this and uh, it's really interesting to be here with an American. <laughs> AC, how you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I'm here with Billy as well, who's over there.
2: Hello, how's it going?
1: He's back again. I just can't get rid of him. <laughs> so Acey, um I don't know if you've heard the podcast before. Um, But Billy was on it once and we kind of talk about passion and creativity uh, which sounds totally trite and cliche now. I've been doing it for like 45 episodes. (laughs) But I guess my question for you is um, where did it all start, man? Where did it all start? Uh, Church choir
3: when I was a kid and uh, I played a frog and uh, the kids who had the really pretty voices they got a pretty good applause but when I did my ribbit thing with my rough, ribbity voice I brought the house down so at that point I kind of figured that uh, having a little bit of I don't know, camp or like uh, humour to yourself uh, always gets better results
1: Have you always had that voice then? I guess so (laughs) I guess so That's that's quite a young age to have that voice
3: Yeah, I mean, you know I tried singing in a a Journey tribute band at one point but that didn't really work out too well (laughs) Why did it not work? Uh, I don't know. I don't know the, the whole Steve Perry thing. You know, they they already had that guy from the Philippines in the band, and you know they were just afraid that uh, that uh, you know I'd obviously steal the show and it wouldn't work out. So,
1: so wait, was this Journey tribute band actually Journey, who are now a tribute band of Journey?
3: Oh, I'm taking the piss. There was no <laughs> Journey tribute band. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, you've got a new album out, which uh, is. From what I hear, it's pretty good. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hear it, which is a bit of a bummer, but um, I like the people you work with on it. How did that come about? Well, uh, let's see. It's a weird
3: thing, because on one hand, I kind of tried to do as much as I could for once on an album. So I played all the bass, I played all the rhythm guitars, I did all the lead vocals, and I wrote everything pretty much myself. But um, I had Frank Ferrer from Guns N' Roses play drums on it, and I've known him forever. And while people kind of slag him off because they're like, oh, he's a scab member of the band. You know, you got to understand, like, I've known that guy forever. And he has been in band after band after band that has gone nowhere. So, you know, hey, if somebody's going to do it, I'm glad it's my mate. You know what I mean? So I'm really happy for him. Um, And then Christian Martucci uh, played on it. Christian and I were actually in our first band together when we were kids. And it was kind of like a like a death rock type of band. And we grew up in this area that was kind of the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, New Jersey type area. And it's been really awesome because our lives have taken these similar but different paths. And he was playing with D.D. Ramone for a long time. Uh, and then now he plays in the band Stone Sour with Corey Taylor from Slipknot. And I used to play with Joey Jordison from Slipknot when I was in the Murder Dolls. And then I played with Joan Jett, so we had this really weird thing where we both played with these punk icons, and then this weird Slipknot connection. And yet, neither of us were Slipknot fans. And it was like, how does this happen to two guys from the middle of nowhere?
1: You know. So, it's, I thought it's really interesting that you, you kind of talk about that whole idea of people being in bands that went nowhere for a long period of time. And I think, like, speaking as musician and as musicians that I know, like, we've all experienced that, haven't we? Um, and I think you're totally right. Like, if you've get if someone goes, can you play in my, you know huge band, you'd be like, well, fuck yes, I'm going to do that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the truth is, I think in
3: Frank's situation,
1: <clears throat> I might be
3: speaking out of turn, but, you know, the guy who, the original guy who should be there, I mean, part of the reason he's not there is his own damn fault, you know. So uh, it's not like he, he like, uh, you know, manip- orchestrated some sort of maneuver to get the guy out. So, you know, hey, somebody's got to do it.
1: If you're all the women of Axel Rose and everybody's fair game really, aren't they? Yeah,
3: exactly, exactly.
1: And speaking of Axel Rose, the ACDC thing, I just seen that today. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> what
3: thought, man. I have mixed opinions on it. Like I mean, to me it's kinda cool that it's they're only gonna do I guess like the ten or twenty shows or whatever in a way it's kind of cool like at least it's something exciting in a way but like Billy was saying like it, it'd have been a lot cooler if they'd have done it 20 years ago <laughs> that
1: is interesting because I don't think they'll last I think this will be it like after they do those shows it'll probably be over because how, how can you continue you
3: know? well on top of that too it's like clearly they run a very tight ship it's like they got rid of, of uh, Brian Johnson because he was having a hearing problem I mean to be honest with you, they probably should have stu- stood by their buddy a little bit and seen if they could have worked something out but instead, it was like, nope, forget about it, you know, next. So, I mean, I, I'm curious to see how they're going to react if he's going on stage late or whatever.
1: There's so a video online just now of uh, Angus Young joining them at Coachella last night, playing some ACDC songs. Sounds, uh, sounds interesting.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and interesting is definitely the adjective I would use. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it started at choir, but I mean, when did you first realise you were going to be a songwriter?
3: songwriter um, I started playing in a band with, with some friends and I didn't really like the lyrics that uh, the, the guitar player was was writing and so I would rewrite them and he would get pissed off about it and then that's kind of when I realized that I had my own voice you know when I, initially it was it's always been I've always just liked being in bands so sometimes I, I like writing my own stuff and playing my own stuff and sometimes I, I like being a side guy you know there, there's pros and cons to both you know I mean, the the pros to to being a side guy, like this this artist I play with, Rachel Lauren, I like the fact that people aren't, that I'm not the center of attention with that band. I really kind of like that. Like, I can just sort of play, enjoy being in, in the music, you know, but when it's your own thing, everything's on you. And that's a lot of,
1: of uh, there's a lot of glory to it, but there's a lot of pressure too, so. And you got involved with Billy's last last record and this current one as well. Um How did that happen? You guys can both answer this, I guess. I didn't even ask you this when I interviewed you.
2: You good. Uh, Where do you you want me to start? (laughs) The beginning. Me and AC met uh, over ten years ago um, when Trashlight Vision played. uh, AC's old band in Edinburgh. They played at a venue called Studio 24. And um, I was a big fan of all the bands that AC played in when I was growing up. And... um, so I, you know, I I only had um, one copy of like only ten copies ever of my first EP got made because I kind of fell out with this manager that I had. Like he wasn't really managing me, but he was sort of like he suggested the studio that I got. He suggested the photographer for the first photo shoot I ever got. Blah blah blah. He gave me some, he helped me out in some ways. But he's he's a good guy. But um, we we in the end, I only ever made ten copies of my first EP. That's that's the the easy way of saying it. That's the to cut a long story short. And uh, so I had one copy of my own first EP, and I knew that AC was playing in town. So I, I went to, to to see his band play, and uh, I made sure I met him, and I gave him that one copy. And uh, about a week later, he he got in touch. He sent me an email and said, "Let's work together." So we did, <laughs> and we've been friends ever since.
1: It's pretty cool. So you managed to make a uh, a weird Scottish friend.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it, to me, it was it was really
3: cool. Like I'm I'm always flattered anytime someone gives me their their music because, you know, I, I'm. A musician too, and I know studio time costs money, and you know, back at that time, you know, burning CDs, it took time to burn that CD. It, that CD costs money. The, the, none of this shit grows on a tree. So I'm always very uh, flattered when people do that, and I do always make it a point to to try to listen to all of them. And, um, you know, I, I listened, to, and Billy's thing to me is like, he kind of came off like almost like as this crust punk kid, and he's like, oh, it's acoustic punk, and I'm like, the fuck is that all about all right let me give this a listen and i listened to it and i thought it was amazing and you know like you said it was one of only 10 i went home i sold it on ebay for 200 dollars, and i was like okay I, I gotta work with this guy you know there, there there's a lot of cash in this cow
1: so where'd it go man <laughs> so um yeah you have been in a lot of bands man and you you have i guess you've done you're the kind of the journeyman i guess of rock you're like a journeyman almost a bit nomadic you could say um but this is your first first solo uk tour and first proper solo records um how is that
3: well i finally figured it out like i can't fire myself so this way maybe it'll be like the last one um you know if i guess honestly if it was up to me i mean there's Again, there's pros and cons to both. It's like, if my life had worked out the way that I had wanted it to, uh, you know, after the Murder Dolls did our first record, that would have been my career. I would have been super happy if that was my career from there on out. Um, I would have loved that. You yeah, know, had that not happened, had, had that second record not happened with me, I never would have ended up playing with Joan Jett and the whole Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing and all that stuff. So everything always ends up working out, you
1: know, so and you got so where did you I guess the question I really wanted to ask is when did you decide it was time for the for the A.C. Slade solo album?
3: Well when we were recording Joan's record I started writing again and I really liked the songs that I was writing and originally some of the stuff I was writing I had her in mind and it became clear that she wanted to make her own record which is totally cool like I, I get it but I was like I don't know. I think you're nuts. The, my, my songs are really good, and, and I would use them. But it, it's an artistic thing, you know? And, uh, you know, so I got that. And so as I'm writing these songs, I'm like, I'm digging this, man. This is cool. And so or, originally I was just going to do an EP, and, uh, and I wanted to nail that before I went on the road with Joan again. So I had, like, a small window of time, and I started talking about it on my social media. And I, I just said, you know, hey, I'm going to do this EP and everyone just said, uh, you know, no, we want a full length, we want a full length, we want a full length. And so, you know, I did a, a pledge music campaign, and, and that worked out really, really well. And so that's kind of how it came about. I didn't really set out to do it as a solo band, you know.
1: That was the thing I was going to ask yeah, about the pledge music campaign. Like, obviously, that's spectacularly well. Um, and a lot of people use it, and they've had a great success with it. How, how did you find the process of involving fans quite intimately into the, the, creative, the whole creative process, I guess? There's a lot of things that were really surprising about it. I,
3: I was surprised uh, how much money people would spend, to be honest with you. I, and I mean that in a flattering way. You know, I don't usually like to talk about finance in these things, but it was really flattering that, that people would contribute. I thought it was going to be like, oh, people are going to you know, buy the $5 download. Nobody did. Like most people were spending thirty dollars and more, which was great. So that part of it was awesome. It was awesome to know that I had a budget to work with. Like before I even walked into the studio, so it just made everything. It took so much pressure off. You know, it, it took the pressure off. But I still had to work hard to get to. You know, I got lucky because I got to one hundred percent really fast. I quickly realized that I had miscalculated a lot of my finance, you know, and I was like, "Shit!" Like, I hope it, you know, like we keep going with this, you know, and I did. So, yeah, that was that was the the, the, the most flattering part about
1: it, really. So, did that did that influence the vibe of the records? No, no. no, it was always just going to be the, the sort of same.
3: Yeah, I mean, towards the end, I guess the only thing that was a little bit of pressure was that it was like i I always did wanted to do a 10 song album I didn't I'm not a fan of 12 14 song records i i, I I'm a fan of you know all killer no filler type of thing uh, but it, I, I did feel at the end like all right do, do I really have enough for the full length like you know is, should it be this song or that song and and that kind of
1: but besides that no, no. so I'm wondering because you said you you took some time off from playing with Joan to write the record, you had a little bit of time. Do you do you write a lot of music? Is, is that a constant thing or is it just whenever you ha- find the time or like I know like Billy's quite prolific and yeah. the reason I'm asking is because as me as a songwriter I'm not prolific at all. And uh, I'm always really curious as to like how the process kind of works, you know? Yeah. yeah.
3: I mean I'm I'm usually writing songs except for when I'm not, you know <laughs> um, I, I have a lot of creative outlets and, and to be honest with you, sometimes it is a matter of like okay well I got you know an album to do so now it's time to start focusing on that uh you know this this artist I work with Rachel you know we're going to be starting to work on a full-length album so I'm starting to write stuff for her you know but it just sometimes songs just come out of the air you know and sometimes it's a matter of all right I got to be focused and go through my hard drive and figure out you know what mumbling memos i have you know so it's weird it's sometimes there's like a whole bunch happening at once and other times it's a matter of like all right sit down and focus
1: i've spoken about this recently in a couple of episodes um one of the reasons i started this podcast is because i felt that my own creative process was like broken almost irreparably and in certain ways it is when i spoke to billy about it it's like i'd love to write acoustic punk tunes like billy but i just can't fucking do it. It's just not happening right but as i've as i've I thought by doing this podcast I'd get some answers, but everyone's so wildly different. I'm kind of like, well, that's not really worked out the way I'd hoped. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's effortless. I'd say it,
3: it is a matter of you got to pick up your guitar, you know, or, or, or you got to listen for those things that people say that are worth writing down to turn into a song lyric. You have to, you have to kind of pay attention to it. I've used the, I've used the Brian Eno uh, Oblique Strategy cards before, they're pretty cool. But I find that when I need to use them, I don't know if this makes any sense, that the more I thought I needed to use them, the less I really needed to use
1: them. Maybe that's perhaps the point of them then?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's like like just by by going through the process of having them in my phone, um, I don't need to use them. That's that's
1: super interesting because you're the first person I've heard about the Oblique Strategies for a while, but you're the first person I've spoken to that's actually said that they use them.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're so cool. And you can apply them to anything. I mean, I'm into photography as well, and uh, you know, you can you can apply all those things to photography, and as the name implies, they're oblique strategies. They're not like you know anything very direct.
1: So, so I wanted to talk about something that is kind of the elephant in the room. as I'm talking to a hall of famer, which is <laughs> fucking crazy. Like, what, what was that like?
3: Well, I mean, I'm I'm not the band I played for uh, is it was, it was inducted, but I person I, pers- I you know I I feel very I don't know. It's a weird thing. On one hand, it's like I know some really, really, uh, I don't want to say famous, but uh, successful people in their careers. And I can't lie, there's times where I kind of feel like, wow, man. Like like when we were, I forget where we were the other day. We were somewhere the other day and there's pictures of like Korn and, and some other bands and stuff like that. And I was thinking like, you know, I kind of was able to be a part of something that... I don't know. I mean, maybe Korn will someday. I don't know. But I, I was being able to be a part of something that a lot of my peers haven't been able to be a part of. At the same time, I really had nothing to do with, with, with Joan. I, I, I can't say really. I had absolutely zero to do with Joan Jett being in the Rock and Roll Hall. of Fame. She would have gotten in there regardless of me, and it was long fucking overdue. And I mean, it was pretty cool. I got to uh, play with uh, Gary Ryan, who's the original bass player. I got to... To, to play with him because I, I was in the band at that point, but they but part of the induction is getting the original band up there, so I got to play with him, which was cool because i have been learning all of his bass lines and stuff like that. that was cool and you know it 's a shame that you know the original drummer couldn't be there to be a part of it and I, I was really happy that uh, yeah, I was just happy to have been in the band at the time that that happened
1: was it was that daunting when you first got the call to play for John?
3: it was weird I, I'd quit music. Yeah, I'd quit. I, I you know, I, I played in, you know, some bands that had some success and toured a lot. And it was, I went independent at a time where people were kind of saying it was a good time to go independent, but really, I, you know, the bands I w- was in, I mean, it wasn't like I was in Radiohead. It wasn't like I was in um, the Ramones or something at that point. It was... The the whole crowdfunding thing and going independent thing is very helpful if you have a story, you know. And crowdfunding hadn't quite started yet. So I went out on my own. It wasn't working out how I'd hoped. And uh, I went to hair school. I learned how to cut hair. And I got done cutting hair and the first time I gave somebody a haircut and they turned and they handed me $60 and they, they handed me a $20 tip and I didn't have to split it four ways with a band and I didn't have to give 15% to a manager and I didn't have to pay for gas for it or anything I was like, I'm in, man <laughs> like, this is awesome and you're still creative and you still get to have stupid tattoos and dumb haircuts and everything and, you know, listen to music all day and I was like, I think this is it I quit music, I'm done and I got a phone call, and I walked outside, and it was a, a friend of mine. And she said, "What are you doing?" I was like, "Well, I'm the first day at work." And she said, uh, "Okay, well, go home and learn five Joan Jet songs because you're auditioning for Joan this week. And if you nail it, you've got the gig. Do you have a passport to go to Australia?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about? Like, I, I quit." And she's like, "No, no, no. Go home and learn the songs." And that was it, you know.
1: And it was Cherry Bomb, wasn't it? It was, it was one of the songs that yeah, kind of got you the got you the the gig, um, and. I guess it must have been quite surreal. Pardon? It's been quite surreal. Yeah, it was,
3: you know, it wasn't until she walked in the room. And even when she walked in the room, it wasn't. To be honest with you, it was when she played her first chord. Because I never realized that that Joan has a distinct guitar sound. And as soon as, like, she walked in, you know, like I said, I've, I've known some really successful people. It's like, all right, right, you're, you're Joan, I'm here to do work, you know, and, and that kind of went out the, the door. And then as soon as she hit a chord, I was like, I know that fucking sound, man. You know, it was the Joan Jett guitar sound. And, like, all, all my cool dropped and I got nervous as shit. <laughs> <laughs> that,
1: that must have been... I can't, I can't even imagine being in, like... It's kind of weird to be in the presence of yourself. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it, it just seems really bizarre to me. Um, but t- speaking of sound... Uh, your your music that you create has a very distinctive sound oh thank you um, and it always kind of leads back to me it always reminds me of like sort of glam punk stuff yeah yeah it's, I mean I guess is that I'm trying to think of a good way to phrase the question without sounding pure like a, like a total dick <laughs> um is that, is that something that you're always attracted to with music? Was that like the first thing that made you go, I'm a guitar player or I'm a, I'm a musician, basically? Yeah, yeah, because w- one of the things that I feel very, very lucky about is with growing
3: up in the middle of nowhere when I did, uh, I didn't hang out with the metalheads and I didn't hang out with the punks and I didn't hang out with the goths because there weren't enough of those people to, to, for them to have their own scene. So we all hung out together. And it was like just the art class crowd, you know what I mean? So there was only like six of us that wore all black and Doc Martens. And so for me, it's like, it's like, all right, well, if you wear all black and you have Doc Martens, you could be in a punk band, you could be in a goth band, you could be in a heavy metal band, you could be in a ska band, you could be. And so I just saw it all as something that wasn't then. And I just knew I didn't want to be then, you know, and. So I just always had, like, this this really broad range of, of, of influences. And, you know, we would listen to the Dead Kennedys or we would watch. I remember watching uh, Who Killed Bambi at a Friend's House while everybody was tripping on acid. And then, like, somebody put Nine Inch Nails on. And it was a cool time. And then grunge came in. And I was kind of like, well, I didn't like it. You know, I, I it, it didn't speak to me. And I was like, well, what what happened after uh, the Ramones, and what happened after a lot of the like a lot of the people that I like? And it was the okay, well, the New York Dolls happened, and then Hanoi Rocks happened, and uh, yeah, the whole glam punk thing. And it was like, well, how is this tied together? Well, it's from Bowie and Alice Cooper. So, yeah, I mean, look at Alice Cooper. It's like, I mean, if it wasn't for Alice Cooper, th- there wouldn't be a lot of the punk bands that there are, you know. And then you take it the other way and, and Bob Dylan's favorite American lyricist is, is Alice Cooper too so I didn't know that that's really bizarre yeah yeah I mean talk about like such a he, that guy will go down as like he he should be to America what David Bowie kind of is to to the UK and we don't and it's such bullshit it's like he he should he should
1: get the respect that that Bowie gets in my opinion speaking of Alice Cooper have you heard the Hollywood Vampires album no. <laughs> oh, that's, that's just shot that right down. <laughs> I don't know what he's saying now. Um, it's really weird to hear Johnny Depp playing guitar. Um, You've got know, heard it It's It's got a lot of covers on it, man. it's, it's like half covers. It's pretty mental. But uh, yeah, that's just put an end to that line of question. Killed it, killed it dead. <laughs> Let me go back to my questions. I thought we were on a roll there. <laughs> um Oh man, I've, I've asked all the. We've covered all the questions so far. Shit, ran, ran out of things to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so now you're doing the whole solo UK tour thing. Uh, how, how are you feeling about it coming up? I'm a little nervous, you know. I mean, I, I'm, I, I've never done an acoustic thing
3: before, uh, so that's new for me. Uh, I gotta make sure I sing well because you know it's, you're not having crash cymbals and you know it's not all the. Uh, throwing shit around and throwing yourself on the ground so yeah I really got to play better than I than I have in the past so that's a little bit of pressure and I don't know how it's going to be received and I don't have a record company and I don't have a publicist and I don't have a promoter I, I, I'm doing this all myself so I'm a little nervous about that but it reaches a point where you just have to let go of the results and enjoy it you know so I'd say that uh, yeah I mean I'm a little nervous but you know just like always, it's like you hit that first chord, and you know it's it's all rolls downhill from there. So, yeah.
1: so you kind of went you kind of went back to the whole DIY thing. Um, what was it? Was that, what was it like? On like, did that feel comforting to go back to that? Totally degree It's good
3: and bad to it. I mean, you know, when you were talking about the songwriting thing, one of, one of the things that is distracting is the whole social media thing. I'm not down on it at all but it becomes another full-time job you know like it like you used to be able to um you'd work you'd hone your craft you'd really work on it and then you know you'd say okay well this band's playing this night i gotta hand out flyers there this band's playing that night you gotta turn up at that gig my friend's band is playing i gotta support them because i know they'll come to my show and there was at least a, a, a like a time that you were kind of you had downtime and now it's, like, constant, you know? Like, you constantly have to be promoting yourself through social media, and it's, it's a little taxing, you know? Because you never know where exactly it's going, you know?
1: I get that. Like, that's one of the things that... When I started the podcast, I was heavy on Twitter. Like, I was on every single day, and I've kind of pulled back. And you know what? Like, it, it does... Uh, I have seen differences. It's kind of experimentally. It's like if I don't tweet certain things at certain times, then certain things don't get listened to as much as other things. And it's just... It's utterly bizarre I don't I still don't know If I understand it Or really want it To be a thing that exists But it kind of does And need to deal with it (laughs) Um, But yeah I guess doing your own shows And and all that Like That that must be Must be quite cool To have all the control
3: Yeah I mean I'm I'm glad that uh, I don't know A lot of the bands I've been in Have been very DIY I mean this band Dope I used to play in we never talked about top yet well yeah (laughs) um we we never took for we were assigned to sony and we never took for granted that they were going to do their job in fact we got in a lot of trouble because i mean we would turn up at gigs and it would be like well where's our our rep for this town you know and it'd be like well he's supposed to be here and like okay well where is he and why are there not posters for our album up in the venue and why is there not this and why is there not that we questioned things a lot and uh you know, So as a result, it would be like, all right, well, fuck them. We're going to bring our own posters on tour, and this way we're going to make sure. And sometimes the reps would turn up and they'd look around and be like, well, who did this? And we'd be like, well, we did, because you're late. And that kind of didn't make us friends at the label sometimes.
1: How is the... Now, you've, you've been on the major label thing. Um, was, was it good? Was it bad? How was it, like, overall?
3: It's it's Again, it's a roll of the dice. It, it depends... It depends on if you can get them to spend enough money on you. We we're lucky with, with that band, Dope. I mean, they spent millions of dollars that they were never, ever going to see again. You, know, you, you take a band that sounds like Ministry, and why would you spend millions of dollars on that? That just doesn't make any sense, you know? When they asked us what the single was going to be for, for radio, we're like, what's that mean? <laughs> you mean the song that everybody likes? Oh... I don't know. we Even think about that, you know. So, you know, th- but they spent, but by them losing millions of dollars, that band can still tour and make money
1: every year. Do you, do you still think about that radio thing? After, well, I guess let's go back to let's, I reframe the question. Um, being told that at the time, it must have must. I mean, to me, that would feel quite insulting. It must have been kind of like that. But has it kind of seeped in to, to other songwriting pursuits? You got like to have like that. One, those one or two songs that are for the fans or pop
0: Well,
3: it's a little bit weird because on one hand that experience it does make you think about that. And it does make you think about what is a good song. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're writing for the moment, like if you're if you're ambulance chasing, you're going to lose, you know. But that doesn't mean that it's not smart to pay attention to to great songwriters, you know, cheap trick. I mean, god, those guys write the best songs. Ever, you know, so I don't think it's a bad idea to to to, to check out good songwriters. You know, I mean, it kind of gets it, it kind of gets a little bit of a, a, a I don't know, say a bad name, but people start to think like, you know, oh, you, you want to write pop songs? Like, I want to write
1: good songs. I don't know. I mean, what's the difference? You know, that's a good question. Like a lot of my favorite songwriters are. I, um I fucking love Prince, you know. I talk about this all the time. (laughs) And it's because of, like... It's subversive, it's pop, but it's subversive. I love Weezer as well, they do the same thing, you know. Um, I I do think it's weird when people call that out and go, no, you shouldn't be writing songs for everyone. You should be writing songs for the select group of people that that really love you. And it's like, well, I don't... I just write songs the way I write songs, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean,
3: it's nice to... I think on one hand it's nice to be altruistic and, and think like well if I just sit in my room and write great songs um, you know if you know th- then, then amazing things will happen but that's not necessarily the case and I think just like anything it's, it can never hurt to, to refine your craft so yeah keeping the muscle working basically What's that? Keeping the muscle working, basically? Yeah, you know, I mean, w- w- just like anything, it's like by photography, I'm always trying to become a better photographer. With my bass playing, I'm always trying to be a better bass player. So, you know, don't be lazy and say like, well, no, man, I just write songs for me. If that's the case, cool, but you should really look at yourself and be like, well, is that really the case? Are you being lazy and, you know, tr- trying, trying to shut a door before people slam it on you,
1: you know? Scared of failure, basically.
3: Yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: But I think I'm scared to figure. That's probably why I've not written those acoustic songs that I really, that I really want to write. Um, but I'm just going to wrap it up now. Is there anything else you want to say or anything you want to ask me before we finish? Well, you're an excellent
3: interview, so thank you very much. And uh, thank you for Billy Lyre for introducing us. And you should check him out. And I would say that people should check out your podcast, but if they're listening to it, well, that would be a little redundant. So
1: yeah. maybe, maybe I'll just like chop that little bit out and just post it all over the place. <laughs> Eddie, well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.
3: Awesome. Thank you very much.
1: And Billy, as a pleasure as always.
3: Cheers, man. Thanks.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
3: With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices. Down. so to help us we brought
0: in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready to get 30 ready to get 20 20 20 ready to get 20 20 ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch
1: 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees promo for new customers for a limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com so there you have it ac slates what a man! nice for Billy to be there as well, just to kind of, you know, offer some colour commentary, I suppose you could call it. Uh, Yeah, it was... I had a great time. It was awesome to chat to the guy, and it was good to hear his stories. And his solo tour was really, really good as well. He also regaled us with stories from his past, none of which I think are... I mean, I can remember a couple of them, but, you know, I I just don't even know if he's going to... I don't know, I don't even know if, if... if these stories will make it out. But if you ever go see him live, then I don't want to spoil it for you because that guy, that guy, man, he's done some stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so thank you very much for listening and thank you very much for bearing with me while I've been trying to recover my voice. It's, it's been a tough time. You know, I, the whole The whole vocal thing was was really scary. You know, it was a scary fucking time, man, because I don't think, I thought I'd lost my voice completely. You can actually hear it. It was a bit croaky just now because I've just done some vocals and I did a wee thing wrong and I've been learning how to do it properly. But I did a wee thing wrong and it kind of blew my throat out a little bit. I can still talk, I it's still, sort of still singing and stuff, so it was good. But when I lost my voice, I thought to myself, I've probably not done any damage, but if this is what it takes, how am I going to survive on the road? You know, how, 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 What is my future? I might scream in false hopes, but I love singing. I am a singer and I would never want to lose that ability. So in the two weeks I was I was away, not only did I lose my voice, but there was a lot of soul searching, you know. But aye, you don't want to hear about that. It's all back to normal now, thank God. So thank you very much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my chat with AC Slade. I had a great time talking to him. Thank you, Billy, for sorting that out for me. What a gentleman he is. If you get a second, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, or even talk to me on Twitter. I'll, I'd like to be more active on Twitter, and I think if more people spoke to me, then I would be more active on Twitter. But I'm finding it quite hard to do it at the moment for various reasons. Like, and as I said earlier on in the podcast, I will get into those and in, at a later date. But for now, just yeah, just have it, just give us a chat, just have some chat, just come and talk. Let me know you're out there. I want to know that you're out there and that you're listening, and that you like what you like. What's happening? Because there's going to come a point soon where this is going to stop happening and you know it's good to know that people like it and value it so just please come say hi that'd be awesome so yeah last year AC Slade did a pledge music campaign for his solo album and it's it's a really good record and he smashed his target he completely fucking smashed it it was great It's called Valentine's for Sick Minds and you can get it online and it's really, really good. It's worth checking out if you like the sort of glammy kind of punk stuff that he's kind of been associated with his whole life. I'm going to play you out now with a song from that record. It's called One Fist in the Gold and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much for listening. Until next week, bye-bye.